I was talking to a friend of mine who's an African-American man and a minister. We were discussing the racial situation of America. I know, no light subjects. We were talking about when Barack Obama was campaigning and when he was first elected, there was a lot of talk about how we might be entering into an age, an era of our country that was called post-racial. I don't know if you remember that, but that was the hubbub around the election. Perhaps we were entering into some sort of post-racial America. I confess, I don't know if it's a good thing to be post-racial. I think what they meant by it was a good thing, that somehow we were going to be entering into a society where a lot of the sins of racism, a lot of racial tensions, a lot of racial difficulty, a lot of all the stuff that has gone on in our country because of racial injustice and ignorance was... Well, we were getting beyond it. As I was sitting and talking with him about that and learning from another brother's experience, I asked him how he felt now. Because I read the same newspapers you read, and I watch the same news you watch, and I feel the same climate that you feel. And he said, quoting a theologian, that he's living in post-racial blues. We haven't got that far. We're not in the world that we dreamt of. We were talking about this as we were reflecting on the presidency of Barack Obama, realizing that it was, in fact, the step of progress for the country to elect a person of African descent. But there's so much still that isn't where it needs to be. I chuckled, and I said, already and not yet. And as a minister, he nodded his head, knowing what I meant. Already, not yet. What does it mean? That's well, a fancy, fun little phrase that Christian scholars have talked about when thinking about the kind of ministry that J Jesus brought in his own time. You see, Jesus was about bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That is actually what the good news is, the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say, I bring you the good news that I can live in your heart. Jesus does not say, I bring you the good news that you get to go to heaven. No, the good news is that he would bring the kingdom of God. Don't believe me? It's an open book test. Take a look. I bring you the kingdom of God. And so scholars have said the kingdom of God is already here. It wasn't still coming in some future time. It was here. It was wherever Jesus went. It was wherever Jesus restored a broken thing, where he healed a blind man and cared for a beggar. It was wherever Jesus proclaimed good news of his kingdom and the ways of his Father. The gospel says the kingdom of God is already. Yet, we're told that between his ascension and his second coming, there's still more to do. And upon his second coming, he will fulfill everything that he was about. And so we say the kingdom of God is still not yet. The kingdom of God is a neighborhood that's got the good news, but it reminds us with the not yet portion, there are still cracks in the sidewalk as we wait for Jesus' second return. When you're reading the Gospels, though, it's a real big, sweet dose of already. Jesus is repairing the brokenness. He is saving and healing people, which are really two translations of the same word. 
when the scriptures in the New Testament tells us that saving and healing action of Jesus, we, we're just using two different English words to describe the one word in Greek. My friends, what this means is that salvation, if we're being biblical about it, is about the healing of the entire person. I'm sure you see how it's not hard to interpret all of this as good news for people who are less than whole physically, socially, and spiritually. Christ, the Lord, here in this story, He ventures away from His own people. I don't know if you heard the little flourish in the text. It said, He went to the land of the Gerasenes opposite Galilee. Translation, He's in Gentile territory. He's in the territory of non-Jewish people. He is in the territory of otherness. There in the land of otherness, he encounters a communal consternation, a man possessed by a demon. This man is out of control. He's angry, gnashes his teeth, tears his clothes, cuts himself. He writhes about. It says that the men of the community tie him up to protect perhaps himself, but definitely to protect other people. And then it says that he breaks his chains and the wild man runs into the wilds. This man terrifies his own people. I was scrolling on my phone through Facebook this week to atone for my sins, and I was and I saw a story. It says, click on this. You'll never believe this story. And I don't know why. It clickbait. I got hooked. So I click on it. And it's a video of a woman who has lost her mind on an airplane. That immediately terrified me. For I don't like being in a metal tube, thousands of feet in the air, going over water. I, who, who enjoys that? Oh, a couple of you? Well, I don't ride first class, so I don't enjoy it. So I'm already there a little uncomfortable with the idea that on a plane like that in a confined space, you're a captive audience, somebody losing their mind going out of control terrifies me. This woman was screaming and yelling and making threats and obscenities, and she was screaming at this one woman, and she kept saying, don't say another word to me or I'm going to maul you. Don't say another word to me. And it was really startling. Everyone around her was doing this. And the woman who was getting yelled at kept saying, I'm sorry, trying to make it better. But remember what the woman was yelling? Don't say another word to me. I'm sorry. I said don't, you know, and it was so terrifying to everybody. People are out of control. No matter what makes them out of control, it is absolutely terrifying. Can you imagine how terrified his wife was? Maybe she had to sit at home many nights putting her children to bed saying, Daddy isn't Daddy anymore. Now, at this moment in a sermon, it's tempting to either try to defend to you, a modern audience, that demons and angels are indeed very real things. People experience them and other cultures, we have stories to tell, so on. Or, it is tempting to suggest that this is simply a pre-modern story so that what we are reading about is really an illness that is 
diagnosed because the people of the day didn't have naturalistic words to describe things like, you know, epilepsy or schizophrenia or mania. No, no, no. They, they were describing all of that as demonic possession. And all I wish to say to you today is, why not? Who says there shouldn't be such a thing as a demon? And who cares if this diagnosis is wrong? This guy, he needs their help. I'd suggest, I'd suggest today that we would just go with a story. The man is in need of physical and spiritual help. He is possessed. He's out of control. And thus he is estranged from himself and his community. Now, I want you to notice this. The possessing demon is not one demon, but many demons. Since most of you are up on your modern-day horror films, I know you know this, that in the demonic possession story, each film likes to give the, the name of their demon as legion. It's scary that way. It reminds us that it's not just one character that's malevolent inside of you, but it's many. Notice who this many demons, notice who they're afraid of. They tremble at Jesus. How do you feel about the big, bad, scary thing being terrified by something else? When I was in high school, my locker was next to this one lady's locker, and she had like five of her friends who used that locker. It made it hard for me to get to my locker and get to class on time. So one time I was a little annoyed carrying my whole stack of books like this. And I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, excuse me, I was trying to be polite, trying to be a gentleman. But her, her boyfriend, who is a big and bad, scary guy, saw me and he didn't like it. And so he comes over to me and he knocks my books down and he pushes me. Now, I wasn't thinking four moves ahead. I was thinking one move ahead. I didn't want to look scared. I pushed him right back, got in his face. But in my mind, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, don't let me die now. Oh, God, don't let me die. I have grown in wisdom since then. I didn't know how God was going to save me from this monster of a man. And then I saw a streak and a bang. And another monster of a man who was more monster than the first came around the corner, slammed the guy in the locker and said, don't mess with my friend Jared. I looked over at the scary guy who was going to beat me up, and his feet were off the floor. I was on the football team, and I had friends on the football team. <laughs> that big, scary guy was more scared of my big, scary lineman friend. What do you do when the big, bad, scary things are terrified? You take notice, and Legion is afraid of Jesus. What does this tell me about the kingdom that Jesus is bringing already? It means that he can claim authority over princes, over principalities, over nations, over norms and dogmas, and yes, demons. Jesus commands the demons out and into a herd of swine, which is another way of saying a whole lot of pigs that he sees just around the corner, and those pigs go rushing off, and they fall off into the sea, creating the very first Bay of Pigs invasion. 
thank you. No one laughed. And I, that was, is, was that a laugh, or are you feeling bad for me now? <laughs> what are the possible interpretations of this, this whole attitude with the pigs? I think the first one that's offered is that swine are unclean to Jewish people, so Jesus is sending unclean spirits into an unclean animal, and therefore it's some sort of fitting fate. My beef with this, I was feeling really punny when I worked on this this week. My beef with this is that what God creates, God says is good. God doesn't look at creation and say, oops. God doesn't look at creation and go, mm. God looks at creation and says, it's all very, very good. So I don't really like the idea that God is just dismissive of a bunch of swine and sends them to drowning just because they're unclean for Jewish dietary reasons. Now, we do know that in the ancient world, there was the belief about demons that they couldn't live in water like seas and rivers and lakes. And so the way to read that is legion is now vanquished. But why swine? Why pigs? Well, let's start with why they're there. It's not strange that they're there. They're in Gentile country. This is, this is uh, not an unclean animal to the Gentiles. It's a big part of this town's economy, no doubt. So why is a good question, since Luke, his writings are often uh, nodding towards the Gentile inclusion into the gospel. We can see in the story that Jesus goes into a, gentle, a Gentile land. He makes whole a broken Gentile person. That man would like to follow Jesus. Jesus says, you can't follow me. I need you to go back to your Gentile land and tell the other Gentiles all about what you've seen and heard here. Frankly, he needs them to go and proclaim that kingdom. No, and the swine are just collateral damage, it seems, along the way. I, I don't think it's because they're simple, unclean animals that the demons get sent to the pigs. No, I, I think it is a condition of the already and the not yet. You see, in the gospel, we always see Jesus bringing that kingdom of God already. But as I mentioned before, we're still waiting. There are still cracks in creation. People are made whole in Jesus' story, but bad stuff still goes on. People still die, people get hurt, and bad people sit in places of power and tear down temples. I think it's a portion of the not yet, still waiting on the totality of the recreation of all things at the resurrection. I think, and to be simple about it, these pigs, well, they suffer a fate but it's not necessarily one God has for them for all time. Tales like this one have gripped our imaginations. There's demons and wild men and the supernatural. But notice that this story is simply in keeping with every single thing that Jesus does. He takes things that are broken, and he makes them whole again. He takes people who are lost and left out, and brings them in. Jesus takes the unlovable and loves. Jesus heals broken hearts and bodies alike, bringing life to the whole self. Friends, we've already experienced the grace that Jesus offers. If you're here, I pray that you're walking with Jesus in this journey of being 
made whole, inside and out. But along the way, you're going to see some cracks. You're already in the kingdom, but the neighborhood will still show cracks. And as we wait Jesus to come and make it all clean again, make sure that where you see cracks along the way, you make them whole. Like Christ, take the wholeness that you've received because of him and give it away. I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.